The following program is a paid presentation. The views and or opinions expressed do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of KWAM. Welcome to the Variety Hour, where local leaders talk Memphis. Listen to you, move your mind. I bet you come from way down south. Now don't tell me, let me guess. You from the town that I love best. Talk Memphis, I wish you would. Talk Memphis, you sound so good. Talk Memphis. Welcome to Talk Money, and now here's your host, Jim Shoemaker. Good morning and welcome to Talk Money. You'll find this to be pretty interesting. Not only do you have a physical self, emotional self, and social self, You'll find out today that you have a financial or money self. (laughs) That's a quote from Kathleen Gurney. She says she's a psychologist that conducted a nationwide survey and found that people use money different ways and for different reasons, all based on their personality. Also, since you have a money self, a different personality, you might want to understand some stock market basics. There are two major risks to your capital when you invest in the stock market. Well, and what is your money self going to do about that? Well, what are the risks that you might want to avoid? Those questions we're going to ask to answer today. My guest about the basics and the personalities, Chris Purcell, certified financial planner, and David Rochester, accredited investment fiduciary. We're going to dive into those questions, and we're going to find out all about your personality that helps you make decisions when it comes to money. From our Did You Know Files, a Transamerica Retirement Survey recently revealed that a greater percentage of millennials have all of their pre-tax retirement investment money in cash and bonds. It's 20%. And then it says, well, what's the other side? Well, the other side, looking at it from that standpoint, all of that money, the pre-tax and retirement investment, the other side is 19%. So we're looking at millennials being more conservative with their money than they had thought they would be. So we've got to kind of work on that. Merrill Lynch did a survey of 2,638 widows in the third quarter of this year, that's 2018, and found out that 53% admit that they had they and their deceased husband had no financial plan in place in the event of either spouse dying. Now that's 53%, one out of two we got to work on that. Maybe if you listen to the program, we can help you move that dial a little bit. I was recently talking to a person with the Social Security Administration and was told that a 65-year-old American male in America today in 2018 is expected to live another 19.2 years. Going to make it to 84.2. Well, that's pretty good. That's an increase of five years in the last 40 years. So, hey, good job, guys. A 65-year-old American female in 2018 is expected to live another 21.6 years, and that's going to outdo us. She'll go to 86.6, and that's increase of three years in the last 40 years. Here's some very positive news for us Americans and how we manage our money. From the Department of Housing and Urban Development, that's HUD, a survey called the American Housing Survey conducted by the U.S. Census Bureau found out in 2011, one in three American homeowners, 34%, own their homes free and clear of any debt. That's no mortgage loan and no line of credit. Well, that's a good thing. That's one out of three. But here's the survey in 2017, two of five, or 40%, own their homes 
free and clear, no debt, nice job, way to go, America. If you have questions for Talk Money, and send them to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. To find out more about today's program on a podcast or listen to past programs, go to iTunes and search for Shoemaker Financial. Like us on Facebook. Coming up, we've got two guys, Chris Purcell, David Rochester. Find out what the basics are when it comes to investing and how your personality might control what you do. I'm Jim Shoemaker. You're listening to The Voice, KWAM 990 and FM 107.9. This is Talk Money. Podcasts of Talk Money are available in the iTunes store. Just search Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with more Talk Money after this. Jim Shoemaker, Chris Purcell, and David Rochester are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Security and Financial Services, Inc. Securities dealer, member FNIRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. Well, when we talk about making investments and dealing with things and knowing and understanding what to do as far as the investment arena, the idea is behind the personality, you've got to think about it. Well, I have two guests today, Chris Purcell and David Rochester, and we're going to find out what it means to be having that personality to make an investment and yet at the same time knowing enough basics about the stock market to move through and let your personality that different type of person you become when you start making investments with your own money. And believe it or not, you do become a different personality. And we're going to find out a lot about that. So welcome to the program, Chris Purcell and David Rochester. Thanks, Jim. Happy to be here. Thank you, Jim. Uh, we, We want to start, David, with you, because when we start with stock market basics, it's just fundamentals. It's just knowing what to do and how to go through that process. I want to get with Chris in a second as we take over that little bit of personality, but start with me when I say a stock market. You know, it gets a big word, and we take it for granted that basically we do this every day, so we fully understand when we talk about an individual stock or something like that, that we understand what we're doing. But help our listeners find out, just when we say stock market basics, give me the representation of what you're talking about, owning a business or owning a stock, what has actually happened? Okay, so Jim, when you own a stock, really you own part shares of a business if you're buying in the stock market. If you're a business owner and you own the business yourself, you own it all. You have all the risk involved, and you have some rewards involved as, as well. But when you buy a stock on the exchange, you're saying you're, you're an owner. You're, you're actually purchasing as an owner of that company. If you buy a stock with a big company, you're actually a part owner. That's exactly right. So what does that part ownership entitle you to? Well, the future growth of the company. As the, as the value and the, and the price of that stock grows, then you as a part owner get to participate in that. Also, if the board of directors of that company issues a dividend and they're going to pay some of the profit out to the shareholders, as an owner of that stock, you get to participate in that as well. So when I think through this process, is that do I want to be that type of owner? I mean, I don't have really any say-so of what's going on with the company unless I own a lot of shares. Well, that's, well, that's not exactly true. As an owner, you have a say-so. Now, whether or not you get invited to the shareholder meetings is a different issue. That depends on how much you own, <laughs> right. right? But you do, uh, as an example, you get to vote on the board of directors. It's called a proxy vote. So that would be an opportunity for you to have your say-so if you know who those people are. And you should vote your proxy either way. All right. Now, let's do, you mentioned in the monologue when we were going through this, there are two major risks to any type of money that you invest in when you're buying stock shares. 
and you're becoming this, as you say, a part owner in a company. Now, so all of a sudden, I have bought some stock for a company, whatever company, and now I need to understand the risk. Let's talk about the great, risk. Great question, Jim. So the biggest risk to any business is the risk of it failing, it not succeeding. So if you bought stock, you put your money into the purchase of that stock, your stock is also at risk if the company fails, you don't recover your investment. That's the first risk. Okay, let me let me put that. If this company fails, I don't get my money back. Is what you're saying? So I've taken I've taken that risk. I've got all my eggs in one basket. I've taken now now we can look at historical facts and go back on different companies that you know maybe a, a startup company and boy all the stock is you know they get part of their income is in, in stock. We hear about startup companies and. And that's a great hero. Whoa, whoa, wow, wow. The guy did great. He became that's a multi-billionaire right. because right. of uh, he owns stock in a startup. But you're also saying that the risk there is that it, I mean, the stories we hear are the ones that, of course, have been successful. But the, really, the other side of that story is the ones that have not been successful. Well, Jim, you've been around this business a long time. I've been around a long time. And we know common names of companies that maybe re- retailers, as an example, where, uh, household names, and those companies went bankrupt. And if you own their, their stock, you didn't recover your money. So the risk is that. Now, Chris, when you when you're, you work with clients and you're talking through that process, how do we share the, the impact of that risk when it comes to their long-range plan? That's a big risk. If sure. that stock you've bought doesn't make it, what does that do to their long-term plan? Well, I think you talked about it earlier when you said I put all my eggs in one basket. We want to make sure our clients don't have all of their eggs in one basket, right? Uh, We want to diversify that amongst several companies, several different investments, things of that nature, to where we're not dependent upon this one business succeeding. So I guess I'm really kind of struggling with this. My grandfather got certain amounts of stock because he worked with a certain company. And all of a sudden he's, um, you know, it's, it's part of the family tradition. We have that stock and so it's you know we're not we're going to keep it uh because it was a great stock when grandpa had it and uh it paid a dividend and it was uh doing great but david just mentioned some of those companies that are great stock <laughs> when grandpa grandpa bought them are not so hot anymore how do you how do you assess that risk when we're talking through the first so again we're going to look at the overall portfolio and see you know how much at risk you are with just this one stock in there is it is it a small portion of your your overall portfolio or is it a is it a large portion and so we want to make sure it's not if it is i'm sure there's going to be some emotional tie to that that stock with you know having your grandfather have it and everybody else in your family having it, but we want to make sure, hey, if this isn't what we need to do, maybe we should sell out of that stock and diversify it by by buying mutual funds and having many shares. All right, of- that's a great point when you mentioned it was part of the family. So we get kind of emotionally attached to Absolutely. it because it was grandpa's stock. If you just tuned in, my guest today, Chris Purcell and David Rochester, and we're talking about some realities, some fundamentals about stock market basics. Now, Again, we all read about the great stories, but we're also talking a little bit about some of those not-so-good stories that something didn't happen. There's some risks, and David and Chris are both going through that risk. And the first risk we're talking about is reality, that uh, stock you bought, the stock maybe you inherited, the stock that's been in the family for years and years, 
decides to not do as well, it's on a different leadership, or whatever reason, you know, just the economy changes. You know, buggy whips were a, was a great investment about 150 years ago. Uh, today, it's not that big a deal. You don't find a whole lot of manufacturers making buggy whips. But that doesn't mean that it wasn't for a great-great-grandpa. It was a great investment. Now, the reality is, I'm trying to put it in perspective, you just need to not get emotionally caught up with that particular stock. David, what are some other risks we take? We talk about the the idea that a stock may fail. What are some other thoughts here? Well, just general economic conditions can affect it. You could you could have a stock that uh, um, is fine. I mean, the company's strong, but other economic conditions can affect just the overall value of the market. So let's just give, put that in perspective. Let's suppose, let's just use airlines or anything that's a tractor, a truck and, you know, the 18-wheelers and all that movement of goods and services, and all of a sudden oil prices, as we've seen this happen, go out the roof. And all of a sudden, and that rise in oil prices would affect what you're talking about. That would affect that stock because of the cost of delivering whatever that company's having to pay. Well, good Airlines, example. whatever. Good example might be a retailer. So a retailer has set their price. Oil prices take a quick jump. Delivery costs go up, but they can't just immediately increase their prices. That could affect what's going on with retail. Let's put that in perspective as we talk about this all the time, tariffs today. All of a sudden, and Chris, I'll give this to you and then both of you, but you talk about tariffs today, and we talk about the president all the time, say, well, I'm going to add this tariff, and, and you know, then all of a sudden China says, well, we're going to do this, or Canada, Canada says, well, we're going to. And so it becomes this tariff war, and does is that put a stock in jeopardy? Our market today doesn't seem to have bought into this tariff war as being a, a detriment to the market yet. What's your thoughts? Sure. And and so a lot with the market, you're going to see what? Forecasting. Right. Right. And so the closer we get to these tariffs taking place on certain things, I mean, think about something that's in all of, all of our pockets right now and all of our listeners, listeners' pockets. Phones. Right? A lot of those electronics are made where? China, yep. right? And, and so you're looking at tariffs, and all of a sudden you're thinking, okay, are the people that are building these phones, is it going to cost more? Thus, those costs are going to be passed down to who? The consumers, and are people going to be buying those things? And it just kind of back and forth, back and forth, and then all of a sudden, well, if less people are going to buy, what's going to happen to that stock? That's a great point. So all of that. So now what's happening, you just can't look in the paper and decide to go buy that stock because you went to a – party the other day and you know the guy that was there said well i'm buying 100 shares of x and i think i'll do it you need to do some research because you're looking at all the different movements and david you're talking about the risk david sometimes when we talk about assessing risk you know the size of the company doesn't always mean that there's no risk just because it's a big company we talk about buying stocks whether they be small stocks small caps mid caps and large caps and then we get into looking at even more diversified than that growth and value and all the things from that perspective help me understand the differences when we talk about assessing risk and looking at the style of the investment okay so style value and growth you've defined that uh so from a standpoint of value it's it's where the the manager is is buying that stock could be a, a good stock but for some reason it's underpriced relative to its value. Could be that the uh, 
you know, the the price to earnings ratio was off. It could be economic conditions that well, have affected that. When you say that. price to earnings, let's talk about that. Help me, give me some. I know when we say price, okay, the stock price and then earnings. We we divide that and we work through that to develop a ratio that says what we've got here. So. Give me some insight. Why would I measure that if I was going to buy a stock? Or is that really that important for me to know? Oh, I think it's important. It gives you, Chris used the term forecasting, but it gives you a, an idea, a measure of how healthy that stock is. So if if uh, price is high relative to its recurring earnings, we could have a problem here. So the price being the price that I've got to pay to correct. buy Correct. That okay? is correct. So, so you're looking at a lot of different moving parts to make this decision, and and the style, as you've talked about, is reality. So, now let me make sure we've covered a couple of areas. When you buy a stock, you're an owner. Correct. That's it. When you buy the stock, you're an owner, and if you're an owner, you have all the rewards and risk of an owner. That's and correct. you need to really look at that, right, Chris? I mean, that's uh, you need to weigh into that from a, from that standpoint of risk and reward for being an owner. And a lot of times we talk about risk is directly related to reward. Sure, absolutely. And again, this is your money, right? So you want to know what's happening with it. You want to take your votes, like David was talking about, with your proxies, and make sure that you're voting on things that are going to help you and the stock as well. All right. Now that makes sure that I understand that two major risks. Obviously, the company might fail and your investment is totally lost. We've talked about that. But then you talked about the entire market, the entire economic situation in our country can be adversely affected by just pure bad economy. Just you know, supply and demand. That. Supply Chris, and demand. Chris described Inflation, supply and demand. you know, all the problems that we go with, just economic conditions that have nothing to do with the company that you bought. So that's, right. that's whether it's a recession, we'll talk about that when we come back. I want to kind of dive into the ideas behind a, a, a bull market. Everybody talks about a bull market. I want to kind of get a sense of what that literally means. You've talked about style. I've talked. You've talked about large companies, small companies. You've talked about stack. You know, I want to get into value and growth. And I think I want to make sure that we understand that when we look at bull markets, that everybody doesn't get caught up in just being in a bull market. So therefore, everybody buy stock in a bull market. That's important for us to, to finally help everybody understand that. We're talking about some basics when it comes just simply knowing stock market basics. So many of you have asked questions about what should I do and how to do that. We're trying to answer some of those questions, but also today we're going to find out really what drives your decisions when it comes to money. You have a personality. You're going to find out there's nine different personalities that reflects your emotional reaction to when you start taking risk. And you do not want to miss that. Chris Purcell, David Rochester, my guest today. We're going to dive into that in such a way that when we look at it, you're going to say, that's me, and I need to know how to react to that. I'm Jim Shoemaker. You're listening to Talk Money. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Just search Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with Talk Money after this. This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information should not be relied upon as research or investment advice regarding any funds or stocks in particular, nor should it be construed as a recommendation to purchase or sell a security. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. And welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker, and we're talking with David Rochester and Chris Purcell. If you'd like to give these guys a call, just telephone number 757-5757. We're talking about stock market basics, but coming up in a few minutes, we're going to talk about your personality. 
your personality of an investor, investing personalities that reflect a different emotional reaction when it comes to taking risk. You don't want to miss that part, so you want to stay with us. David, when we talk about assessing risk, you, know, you were into that a few minutes ago. We talked about knowing the average size of a company, whether it's a large cap stock company or small cap, but also style. And, and make me sure, help us all understand this, this difference when you go through the style of what they're doing and, and help us kind of look from a standpoint of what that means when we're looking, not only in mutual funds, because a lot of people kind of put their mind and say, is he talking about stocks or mutual funds? Well, the reality is you kind of have a conversation sometimes. If you're not careful, they'll bleed into it. But a mutual fund is a bunch of stocks managed by one or two, three people or a team but stocks, if you're going to buy stocks, you're normally buying your own personal stock, or you've got a separate account manager that's doing just a stock portfolio that you're working with that separate account manager that's doing that. Not a mutual fund, but it's a it's a way for you to have someone that's picking stocks for you, or you have become a do-it-yourselfer, and you're picking stocks. So that's kind of that mindset, the difference between how people think and approach their investment. But I want to know more about the styles. I want our listening audience to understand the difference between large cap, small cap, and how you define that, and then styles of really, you know, the idea between value and growth. Okay, large cap tends to be companies that are we, we more easily recognize. They're going to be in the, you know, uh, $10 billion range, or they could be a giant company. There are $50 billion of capital assets within the company. Small companies typically going to be around $1.5 billion. Now, that's with a B, as in boy, billion, not million. Most so of us don't think in those terms. Mean, small doesn't mean the little country store down It's there. not the grocery, <laughs> corner grocery. That's, that's correct. Right. These are lar- you know, relative, relative to that very large companies, but they're not your really more of your mega or giant companies that we're also familiar with, uh, the household name, right, like Apple right. and so forth. So large cap is large, and then small cap is still large, but, but they're, yeah. they're, it's all in, a, all in a, kind of a, a kind of a tiered effect. Right, but large, large companies have gone, gone through a lot of uh, rec, you know, gathering of capital. They're, they're very uh, uh, deep in the pockets. Uh, there's not as big of a threat of them failing, whereas small companies, as we discussed earlier in the show, can fail. There's oh. just higher risk of failure. Right, so that's important. So there's more risk, is what you're saying, in a small cap. That is correct. Let's uh, help me with this then. If we're going through and we're selecting and we look, you know, kind of looking at the characteristics, and you look at you know large cap and small value and growth. We hear that. You know, I, I I've heard. Well, that's a value stock, or maybe that's a growth stock. What's the difference? And we talked about that earlier. Value stocks just tend to be more conservative. So the idea there is, is I I want to buy at a bargain. You know, I'm going to wait. It's kind of like going to to uh, to the store and they're having a white sale. I'm going to I'm going to buy at the cheaper price. I can wait until that cheaper price comes along, and I'm going to buy it then, or I need it now. I'm just going to buy it. Uh, so in the example of value versus growth, I'm going to buy it on sale. Growth is I'm going to buy it in anticipation that it's going to continue to grow, hopefully rapidly, but it's going to continue to grow over time. So value is I want to recoup my money. I'm going to buy it. If I sold it, you know, I, I anticipate I'll get my money back without any great potential for loss. Growth is I'm looking for the price to grow significantly over time. Chris, do you feel like when you're buying value and growth that you hold something differently because of that style different? Do you hold value longer or do you hold, I mean, it's a, do you, you know, a lot of people buy things, you know, we have these stock pickers that try to do it three or four or five times a day, uh, you know, and that's okay. I have no problems with that. But do you buy a value stock and hold it? 
or Absol- absolutely i think uh david said it there he sees something that's that's a bargain essentially mm-hmm. right and says okay so this is undervalued now i'm going to go ahead and buy it at this and i know it is going to come back and or you anticipate you don't absolutely, know absolutely yeah, there's that's still a risk there absolutely and the same thing with growth you see it and you say well it may it's not what it is today what it's going to be tomorrow i'm going to buy it down here and expect that thing to grow and over time it's going to make me all right, let me see if I can give us an example that maybe ties this into this. If you buy a value stock, it may be in a company that's been running along just doing great for many, many years. All of a sudden, there's a change in leadership. For whatever reason, it can be retirement, it can be death, it can be whatever. And that heroic leader that's been leading this company has done a phenomenal job. He's the household word, whatever it is, okay? It could be multiple companies. Sure. It doesn't make any difference. The reality is, all of a sudden, all of the stock kind of seeps down a little bit. Now, that company is still a strong, viable company, but everybody goes, oh, no. you know, Just trying to find that footing. That's yeah, all. he's not there anymore, and so the stock goes on a sale a little bit. And so value people, people that buy value stock, they're watching that. They're looking at that stock value itself at a lower value because that heroic leader's not there. And so if I'm a value stock picker wanting to buy, sure. I'm watching it till I think it gets to a point that it says, now, as David was saying, it's on sale. It's a still a good stock, still a good company, all the sides effects, but I see it as being much better to buy today than it would have been if I'd have bought it five years ago. Absolutely. When it was, at, you know, at a, paying a huge. At its peak, probably. At its peak, could right. have been. So I let it go. Let's say it was selling at $100 a share, and now it's at $75 a share. I'm saying, as David said, it's on sale, so I'll buy it. Now, value is at greater risk or less risk than growth? I'll jump in there and say less <laughs> I like risk. It. I got a question. Yeah. They looked at each other. Yeah. I'll jump in there I and say less risk. Job. And I'll go back to my example of a white sale. If I'm going to go buy a set of sheets, the sheets didn't change just because price went down. All right, so the sheets were still good cotton sheets, and they didn't change just because that price value, it was still a good company. Right, we only buy fine silk, but okay. true. Okay, I got you. Gotcha. I like it. The man of discriminating okay, taste. Okay, there goes the credibility of this show right, right out the window. But now, guys, that's so important because when you have this, we talk this language so much that people don't understand value and growth. And, you know, I like the fact that you said, David, that value may be sometimes considered to be more conservative because you are attempting to get your money's worth. You're buying something on sale. But, you know, Chris says you got to be willing to hold it. Because that stock that you bought on sale may not bounce back up overnight. Correct. You've got to be willing to hold it for a long It takes patience. It takes you need patience. to plan on holding it for a long time. But that should be the case with really any type of stock investment. That's well said. Now, let's, let me deal with this because this is a question we get all the time. Bull markets, bear markets. Bull markets, bear markets. If we get to June of next year, it's the longest economic bull market that we've ever seen in the history of this country. People say we'll make it. Some people say it's not a chance. And also what? Who cares? But the reality is, what about what is the difference? What's a bull market? All right. So bull market is where we've been seeing an upward trend, as we have seen for basically the past 10 years with, with some short-term pullbacks. A bear market is where we've seen two consecutive periods where the market has dropped. It's it's really almost, we start defining almost a recession, but it's where it's been a con- two consecutive periods of pullback or longer. Or longer. So, so a bear market is all of a sudden stocks going on sale. I like what uh, I think Warren Buffett, he made a comment. He said, you know, 
when everybody's afraid, you buy. When everybody's euphoric, you sell. I mean, you just... It's, I'm quoting, I misquoted him totally, but uh, the reality Actually, is, John Templeton said that. You quoted it correct. Wrong person. Well, I know I actually read it from... Okay. Well, maybe, maybe, maybe Warren Buffett's quoting John Templeton. Well, Bob, Warren that. Buffett also said there's two rules to investing. Number one, rule number one, don't lose money. Yeah, that's true. Rule number two, don't forget rule number one. Oh, that's a good point. I like it. All right, guys, I appreciate the idea behind basics. We, you know, we, we kind of helped everybody understand the risk that we take, the whole idea behind knowing the style of a stock. If you buy a stock, you own it. The risk is, the, you know, it's risk and reward. You know, you buy something cheap, well, maybe better find out why it's cheap. And uh, maybe you got to make sure you're making the right decision. All right, but here's the problem. Everybody has this personality. I, we're going to define it as money personalities that will reflect your attitudes towards your earnings, your spending habits, your saving, and what we're talking about today, your investing habits. All right, Chris, I want to set this up for you. We have all of this idea behind the physical, emotional, social self, but I said in the monologue that you have a financial and money self, or, or something like that. And they're, they're inseparable because the fact that it's an unconscious feeling, it is just a part of our nature. And we've seen that. We've watched people change personalities when the market changes. So help us understand, what does it really mean that, that you read the, the study from Kathleen Kearney, but what does it really mean when I say a personality, a money self, a financial self? Yeah, it, it, when you're talking about your money personality, essentially you're talking about your attitudes towards money, how you spend it, how you save it, how you earn it, all of those things, and, and basically how it's coming in, how it's going out, and how you feel about that, right? And so there are a bunch of different attitudes that you can take, and we're going to kind of talk about a little bit about four of them today. All right, help me with that then. Let's okay. go through that. Now, I said earlier there are nine, and there are actually nine. We don't have that long of a show, I know though. we don't. I mean, it take us forever. But uh, let's go through with the first one now. I mean, each of these investment personalities reflect a different emotional reaction when we go to taking risk. Sure. So start with the first one. Sure. So the first one's a daredevil, right? <laughs> I know a couple of those. Yes. So you, you may know financial daredevils. You may just know daredevils in life, right? The guy that's going out and going rock climbing. He's going parasailing. He's jumping out jumping of Jumping out of airplanes. Yeah, he doesn't right. care. It's, it's the thrill. It's the exactly. that he gets, right? Um, so this is what we see. Uh, with aggressive investors, I think is the best way to put it. Guys that are that are playing the markets, that are really going in and, and being totally aggressive and talking about how David said, you know, you want to hold things. These guys are trying to see that one moment or two where they can flip a stock and make some money uh, every three hours or so. Now, these people, when we were going through this, they have a lot of self-confidence. Absolutely. They enjoy the thrill uh, you talked about. They're, thrill, the, they're thrill seekers. Okay, and so investing... Is I mean that whole idea of this? I like to think of it as there. You know, you got a four-lane highway, and you, they're in the fast lane, um, and they do, as you said earlier, they play the market on a short-term basis. Absolutely. So now, if we look at daredevils, how do you coach a daredevil? Can you coach a daredevil? You can. I mean, you want somebody to be aggressive, depending upon the situation they're in, um, but you want to kind of rein that in a little bit, right? You want to, instead of, one of the things that they won't do a lot of is diversifying. 
because it's not as exciting as and, and thrill-seeking as they want to be. But some of the things that you need to do is say, hey, let's spread some of this money out. We can still be aggressive in our approach to investing, but let's not put all of our eggs in one basket. Let's maybe hold it a little bit longer than you're normally used to to get the to get some of the gains that we're looking for long-term. And I think that's the hard part for them is to realize Hey, there's a there's a day after tomorrow and a week after that. <laughs> yeah, so that's a great point. When we come back, we're going to find out these other different types of personalities. The first one: Are you a daredevil? Do you live in that fast lane when you look at your investment? Are you thinking just about what's going to take place on a short term basis, or as Chris has said, do you look out long term? We come back. We got three or four more. We're going to go through them. Each one of these personalities, we found out you have a financial personality. You need to understand what it is when it helps you to make investments. It helps you understand your risk tolerance. I'm Jim Shoemaker. You're listening to Talk Money. If you have questions you'd like to have answered on the program, email them to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. We'll be right back with Talk Money after this. St. Jude Children's Research Hospital is a true testament to the power of promises. As a struggling young actor, Danny Thomas made a vow that he would build a shrine to St. Jude, the patron saint of hopeless causes, if he ever found success. After hearing a story of an African-American boy in the South who died after a segregated hospital refused to admit him, Thomas decided to fulfill his vow by building a children's hospital in the South. At the urging of Bishop Samuel Stritch and in partnership with Dr. Lemuel Diggs, both of whom had strong ties to the Mid-South, Thomas chose Memphis for the site of his hospital. After establishing the American Lebanese Syrian Associated Charities in 1957, Thomas saw the opening of St. Jude Children's Research Hospital five years later. Since that time, breakthroughs at St. Jude have increased the survival rate for the most common form of childhood leukemia from 4% to 94%, making St. Jude a recognized leader in the treatment of cancer. St. Jude has saved and improved the lives of children from all over the world, and it all began with one man's act of gratitude. This has been another Mid-South History Moment, brought to you by Shoemaker Financial. Financial advisors do not provide specific tax or legal advice, and this information should not be considered as such. You should always consult your tax or legal advisor regarding your own specific tax or legal situation. And now, back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. Well, I'm talking with Chris Purcell and David Rochester. Chris Purcell, Certified Financial Planner, David Rochester, Accredited Investment Fiduciary. And we're talking about, well, we've gone through some stock market basics, and that's a reality that everybody, we just kind of covered just the fundamentals. There's a lot more to that, but just don't have the time to do that because we also wanted to talk to you about that personality, that temperament, that reality behind your life that says, this is what I am when I start thinking about money. Now, the first one we covered was the most aggressive guy out on the street, guy or gal. That's a daredevil, the one that you know has plenty of self-confidence, enjoys the investment world, lives in the fast lane, and is usually doing things on a short-term basis. I mean, it's quick turnaround, maybe trade stocks during the day all the time, maybe 20, 30 times a day. That's that person. And, and Chris, you so effectively said in the coaching side of that, you've got to kind of help them understand and guide them. And, they, you know, it's amazing. You're right. A lot of times they know it. They know they need to diversify. It's like, I don't need to drink this much coffee a day, but we don't do it. 
You know what I'm saying? We just sure. keep living that lifestyle that that got it, got it, because it's the euphoric that comes with that personality is tough to coach, but it is important to spend the energy and the effort to help them to know if they want to take X amount of their dollars and do this, great, have at it. Sure. But maybe they need to look outside that and put the rest of their money in a long-range plan and kind of, as David was saying, diversified, you said diversified, long-term. I think long-term is, is and diversification is key there, right, For especially for them. It's a lot more fun to drive 80 miles an hour <laughs> well, than yeah, it is 40, right? Yeah. Could have a train wreck. So, so uh, that's the thing. It's, it's just kind of taking what they're doing and temper it a little bit. That's great. Second type of person. Let me talk about that person. Now. Okay. Um, explorers, right? Um, so there are people that are excited about investing and the potential that it brings to make money, um, but they also lack the confidence as, as their buddy the daredevil has, right? So they're not as confident, and what they do is they tend to get swept up in general public popular opinion. And all of a sudden, hey, this is the hot stock tip. I read it on this, that, or the other, and I'm going to kind of fall in with the crowd, kind of that herd mentality, and just keep on going the way that, well, if it's good for, for Jim and David, it should be good for me. That's a that can be a real problem, too. That can that, be a huge problem. It means it doesn't fit. How do you coach them, David? I mean, here's the person that's that follow the crowd, and, 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 and I can see that. That is so easy to do, especially if you're not a risk taker, and you kind of you heard it, and by the way, the person you heard it from, you respect, and you say, that's good. How do you help that person? I'm going to encourage them to be cautious because I'm going to learn their personality, first of all, and encourage them to maybe do a little more research. Let's let's not jump into this. Let's really find out maybe why other people bought this and uncover those details, and then let's discuss it through. It may not be the best fit for this guy. Uh, I'll use an example. You're talking about uh, uh, back to the daredevil. I've got a very good friend who's in our business, and this guy uh, decided he was going to go skydiving. Loved it until the parachute came out. And interestingly enough, he got sick of his stomach on the way down. And so what he thought was a daredevil approach probably was a little more. my stomach on the way down, too. And so not everybody, just because it's thrilling to be a daredevil and do those type things, doesn't mean that's what you're geared for. You may be geared to be more of an explorer. I got you. I got that. So in other words, we've got two. You know, one of the thoughts here, uh, when we're counseling with someone and coaching them, we're talking to different personalities. We usually talk to the couple. And uh, the couple comes in, and we may have a daredevil for a wife that says, hey, I'm excited, let's do it. And you got the guy going, oh, wait a minute, let me think about it. And so that's a pretty good dynamic when you get to working with that. Absolutely. And so it's a, it's more about managing personalities at that point and trying to help them understand what they're going to need to do in their situation, um, in, the, in the, the season of life as it may be that they're in, and saying, hey, we can use the the wife's daredevil approach somewhat now, but we're going to move to the husband's, uh, you know, preserver side when we when we get closer to a retirement. That's a great point. Number three, what's number three? Chris? Number three is researchers, um, and I love these people because I tend to fall in that group. Um, they're people that that you know they they proceed with caution and they want to just get as much information as they can about something. Um, the the only downfall to this this personality is that they can almost research too much and get too caught up and then become paralyzed. I know myself when I go buy something on Amazon, I, I can spend two hours reading all the reviews thinking, well, this guy said it was a five-star, this guy said it was a two-star, who's correct? Um, I think with researchers, you really have to take what they're looking at and say, this is great, 
Um, but we really need to make a decision. You don't want to get too bogged down in the facts at all times. Sometimes we hear that term analysis, paralysis by analysis. Absolutely. I think that can, really shines that right there. That can really be part of that. How would you coach that person, David? Again, I think they're going to be naturally cautious. We've got to, in their case, really look at what's their goal. And really in all these cases, I think we've got to talk about what's the end goal behind what you're trying to achieve through your purchase. Is it you just like the thrill or is you're, you're accumulating money for a particular purpose over a certain time, time frame? And I think researchers relate to that well, uh, as opposed to just, well, I'm going to study every detail. We've got to bring out what's the purpose of buying okay, this anyway. So you, so you let them do the study or you help them do the study, not correct. just let them, you That's actually correct. work with them. But then you have to kind of help them move off just the study. Nudge them a little bit. Yeah. And that's called good counseling, guys. Fourth person we're talking about today is the preserver, David. That that sounds like maybe that could be me or you. What do you think? Well, I'm probably not the preserver yet. I'm not sure what you're implying <laughs> oh, by that. Okay, I but, got it. But typically, for some people, preservers tend to be a little closer to retirement. They have, uh, or near spending their money, I uh, think you're a little closer to that than me. And so from that standpoint, they want to hold on to what they've got. Their concern is losing money. And so hopefully by this point, they've, they've reached uh, a saturation where they have enough to meet their goals. Goal planning has been accomplished. And now it's how do we preserve this money so it lasts the rest of our lifetime? I, I think the preserver, whether you look at is the preserver the opposite of the daredevil? I think you get more conservative as you move down the scale that okay, we just so kind of talked about. Okay, so let's say that the daredevil is out there, as we said, the risk taker, the fast lane, the preserver. David so eloquently made the comment that it was the older person maybe approaching it to retirement. But that is where you have to begin to make the shift. So when we come back, I want you guys to help us define very specifically some priorities. You guys have effectively covered four of these very strong personalities that we all have. There's several more. We'll cover those maybe later on in another show. But today I want you to look. help me understand if you've identified the personality, then you need to know what the boundaries are and how you stay in those boundaries, and that's your priorities. I'm Jim Shoemaker. You're listening to Talk Money. Podcasts for Talk Money are available for iOS mobile devices in the iTunes Store. Just search Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with Talk Money after this. Investments in commodities and natural resources involve heightened risk due to leveraging and speculative investment practices, lack of periodic valuation requirements, and potentially complex tax structures. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. Well, if you've been listening to today's program, we've been covering some basics about finances, basically about the stock market, just where the risk that you're going to take. We've covered some personalities, whether you're the daredevil or the preserver. Those are just the idea behind your, when you think about making money, investing in money, stocks or bonds or whatever you're buying, the bottom line is your personality. You have an investment or money personality. But you must have a financial boundary or priority. There is always tension between your your need for capital growth and your fear for capital loss. I mean, there's always that push-pull. And you feel that. And your money personality can really get kind of, you know, into a real problem. You struggle with that. So there there's some things that you need to know what to do. And, Chris, I want you to cover those. There's three or four of them. And, and you guys walk me through that because I need everybody to understand just because you understand what your personality is, just because you understand what a stock is, you need to know what are your boundaries. Tell me the first one. 
Absolutely. First phase that you're looking at is kind of the foundation phase, getting everything set, right? It's the beginning of your career. You're making money. You're buying a house. You're buying cars. You're getting everything that you need to go to continue out the rest of your life. Your family is starting and you're, you know, you may have one kid, two kids, whatever the case may be. Um, you're paying off loans. You're just kind of getting going in the in the adult career world, to be honest with you. So if I understand what you're talking about, it's that it's that it's just basic basics. Yeah. I mean, it's just not the not, foundation. Don't jump all the way over the bridge. Take the time to build the bridge. Absolutely. That's a great point. David, what would you say? The second one. Well, the second one's really a phase where you're accumulating assets. And to be clear, it's those that are in their 40s and 50s. I fall in that range, just to come back to that earlier comment. And so typically your kids are grown or in college. I will let that pass, by the way. I will definitely um, let that He's pass. not. And, and they're in, we tend to see more in your peak earning years. And you're hopefully the capacity to save more during that time frame. Retirement's still distant. Uh, you can see it approaching. Maybe it's kind of at the end of the tunnel, but you're you're saving more aggressively for that. But you're accumulating. It's a primary goal. All right. Let me let me think with me, guys, because here's the thought. I mean, now, now Chris, you talked about laying the foundation, and it's up through your 40s. Now, I just quoted the millennials that, you know, 20 percent of them are not doing much in their investment world. 19 percent are trying to put some money away for retirement. Mm-hmm. And yet they're considered to be, and we had some millennials on the other day in a program, and they're, they're considered to be pretty savvy with what they're doing. So we're saying to anybody that's listening, if you're really trying to build a foundation world, a boundary, know that you're going to be more of a, I, I guess, found laying the, the basics, the, the, the pyramid, getting care, taking care of your, you know, what you're going to buy your home or where you're going to settle, student loans, having a contingency. Of, get your emergency you know, reserves built, pay that debt off, get all that stuff kind of out of the way. So then when you hit David's phase of the, the accumulating assets phase, like right, like you know, it. you can start, you can really start aggressively going after t- retirement because guess what? We're not having to buy a house. We're not having to pay off debt. All right. You use the word aggressive. But in that first foundation, you can invest You're, aggressively. Yes. And, and when I say aggressive on, on that end, uh, you should be aggressive early on. In your investment side. Absolutely. When I'm talking about accumulation, you can be aggressive with the amount of money that you're throwing towards it. You've um, got more money. Sorry for the clarification. That's a good point. Yeah. That's a good point. All right. Well, then, Chris, what's phase three? So it's it's preservation, right? Um, you are seeing retirement on your doorstep. You have been through your prime earning years. You know it's time to, to really fine-tune that strategy and say, all right, here it's, it's, it's happening. Let's get rolling into this thing. And you're not looking to be as aggressive now, right? We're starting to slope, starting to throttle down and say, I've made it to the top of the mountain. How do I continue to stay there? So the curve, you can see the bend in the curve. You can see the fork. You can see where you're headed. And now all of a sudden you're saying, okay, retirement is around the corner. I know what I've got to do. Absolutely. So you're preserving capital. You're preserving. You started with laying the foundation. You've got into that accumulation phase. Now you're beginning to say preserving capital is important. David, what's the last phase? Well, that's distributing assets. So when you've identified you're at a point where you're not going to spend it all or, or you want to save some for another purpose, maybe you want to leave it to charity when you no longer have a need for it or to kids or grandkids or college or whatever, it's how are you going to distribute it? To take care of yourself during those latter years, but also anything remaining, how you distribute it to others. So the distribution is not only paying yourself, 
but how are you going to distribute it to everybody else? Correct. That's a great point. So we talked about laying a foundation, accumulating assets, preserving it, and then having a plan to do the distribution. Now, we talk about all this together, but you've talked about we, we've kind of covered the temperament and then you're, you're kind of the season of life, and that's kind of that foundation we've been talking about. These come together to determine how much risk is really appropriate. Chris, kind of close that for me. How much risk do we do this? How, how does this help us understand that? Yeah, I, I think when you've kind of figure out who you are, your personality, and then pair that with what style or what season of your life that you're in, that's going to help you figure out, here's what I need to do, right? Here's how I do I need to be aggressive. Do I need to kind of throttle down and preserve it a little bit? Um, but at the end of the day, you want to see what your risks are. Um, and your rewards and take those into factor um, and have a long-term plan. Uh, make sure you're diversifying in a long-term plan. I think that will take care of a lot of things for you. Well, the reality is you're saying that this the potential risk and reward that we've talked about earlier, sufficient diversification, I love that way you put that together, and the idea between there's risk tolerance, what is my risk, what does my personality say, all of that, Put it all together, you begin to develop a very good personal investment plan. Absolutely. I, I hope, guys, you've done a great job. You've said that you walked us through the basics and understanding how to do that. That's critical. I appreciate you do that. By the way, if you want a little bit more of this information, this information has come from a book written by a dear friend of mine, Austin Pryor. The book is called Sound Mind Investing Handbook. We've just pulled some things from his material, added some of ours to it, and we appreciate the fact that you've enjoyed it, we hope, because we've enjoyed it delivering it to you. It is about knowing stock market basics and also knowing what's your personality. You've been listening to The Voice, KWAM 990 and FM 107.9. My guest, Chris Purcell, David Rochester. If you'd like to talk with him personally, call them at 757-5757. We hope you've enjoyed the program. And as always, thanks for listening. If you have questions, send them to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. Divide today's program on podcast and past programs. Go to iTunes and search for Shoemaker Financial. Be sure to like us on Facebook. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. Talk Money is produced by Greg Ratliff. Guest and content coordination, Francis Fortner. Production assistant, Eleanor Moskovitz. Compliance officer, Tommy Armstrong. Mid-South History Moment, Rebecca Brazier and Drew Johnson. We'll see you next week on Talk Money. Jim Shoemaker, Chris Purcell, and David Rochester are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services, Inc. Securities dealer, member FNIRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated.